VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Friday, April the 1st. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams is producing the show on this Come On With It edition of Open Line. So if you're in the St. John's Metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air to talk about whatever you like, 273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, one 590 VOCM, which is 86. 26. So, again, you know I've been following along with the curling pretty extensively this year. Let's go to Stratford, Ontario for the Junior Curling Nationals. Team Nathan Young lost yesterday to Ontario. Ontario won. That's one of their representatives. Uh, skipped by a kid named Rooney. But great year for Team Young, nonetheless. Sticking with the curling for a second. And it's going to be a huge gap to fill on Team Gucci when Brett Gallant moves off to Alberta next year. With the new residency rules, he won't be on the team. But yesterday, it was told that he was the recipient of the Lieutenant Governor's Award for the 2021 Athlete of the Year in the province of Prince Edward Island. Uh, on behalf of the Honorable Antoinette Perry, congratulations to Brett Gallant. And now the boys are down in Vegas. They kick off the World Curling Championships tomorrow uh, versus Czech Republic. So we wish them good luck. All right, see Alex Nohook scored an absolute beauty last night in a 4-2 avalanche win over San Jose. He'd been a little bit quiet in recent times, but that was an absolute dandy. Way to go, Alex Noak. And I read an article from the New Jersey Devils yesterday regarding Doss Mercer. And man, are they ever high on him. A couple of interesting things. He's the only player on the team to have played every single game this year. So all 66. So in the COVID season and as a rookie, all 66 games really does speak to the durability of him. We hope that doesn't jinx him when it's put in the, uh, the form of an article like that. So he's uh, tied for fourth on the team with goals. He's got 16. He's fourth in points with 37. And with all of those games under his belt and a long season, he'd never played more than 68 games in the hockey season prior to this one. So they're bullish on uh, Newhook and Mercer at the big level. Okay, let's move off to school and education. I don't know if you're familiar with what the Lauren Scholarship is. It is one of the most valuable and prestigious scholarships available to high school graduates in the country. There was over 5,100 uh, applications, 5,174 applications this year, and 35 Canadians were recognized for their outstanding abilities in school, resourcefulness, determination, and of course their marks and their, their role in the community. Two from this province. Absolutely brilliant. Congratulations to James Drover. He's a Lorenz Scholar for 2022. He attends Holy Heart High School right here in the city. Congratulations, James. I'm sure all your friends and your family must be extremely proud of you. And congratulations to Sarah Janes. She's uh, attending Stephenville High School in Port of Port East. She's also a Lorenz Scholar for this year. That is a brilliant achievement. And if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's valued up to $100,000. So that's a good way to kick off your post-secondary career. Well done to them. Okay, so kind of a curious one today in history was today in 2004 that Google launched Gmail. Within 12 years, they had over a billion active users worldwide. And of course, I use the old Gmail like most people do. It's got some good capacity. So there you go, the Google. Oh, Dave. Okay, let's keep going. So cruise ships will be returning to the province's waters for the first time since 2019 this year. They're anticipating some 80% of the volume that we saw in 18, so that means some 30 vessels between June and October. They say they spend some $10 million on shore between the passengers and the crew, and I'm sure the businesses that have felt uh, economic uptick will be happy with this. So there was all sorts of, like they were banned from Canadian ports for a couple of years, and here they come again. 
you know, some, I don't know how appetizing a cruise would be for some of you potential vacationers out there, but here they come. You know, the whole concept of bringing COVID, I don't know how, how much exaggeration we should put to that because as we know, it is here and in big numbers. And we'll see an update on the government's COVID hub around 12 o'clock noon today. But the cruise passengers still have to prove that they're fully vaccinated. So they'll have to present their vax pass. They'll have to test negative before they're allowed to de-embark the vessel to come ashore. So there's some additional protections put in. There's all sorts of protocols on the vessels themselves. But here come the cruise ships. But on and with the concept of proving vaccination. We know that the provincial mandates have been dropped pretty much, even the, not for the public sector workers, but on the federal side with the need to be fully vaccinated to travel, for instance, via airplane. Government policy, it was, it's always been controversial, and I think it did lead to more and more Canadians being fully vaccinated. You can call it coercion or encourage, whatever word you want to put to it, fine by me. But government policies have to have an intended goal and a strategy and an outcome that can be measured before it becomes useless. At this moment, the folks who are willing and wanting to be vaccinated have. Those who will not, no matter what, they won't. So it is absolutely time, unless there's some consideration of changing the definition of fully vaccinated from two shots in the primary series plus 14 days, unless, if that's not going to change, then it absolutely is legitimately time to talk about dropping those mandates. Because now it comes across as nothing much more than punishment. And that can't be part and parcel with government policy. Some people may feel that it's already been punishment and they were unable to go back to work, unable to travel via air. And if we think about it logically, if you can indeed still get in your car and make your way from coast to coast to coast, then what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to achieve? If they're not going to get vaccinated, then why won't we have a, a formal, public, mature discussion about how effective or required the vaccine mandate is anymore? You know, I know a lot of people probably don't want to hear that, and they want to see everybody the, from the ages of five up to be fully vaccinated, but there's some folks, that's it. The tale has been told. The score has been settled. They're not going to get vaccinated. So does that mean we punish them forever and a day? There's always got to be a sunset clause associated with these vaccine mandates. And so when is it? Because, again, if it's just full-on punishment at this point, and it is jeopardizing people's ability to work, for instance, we might be just making a potentially dangerous healthcare system uh, issue even worse. So if you want to take it on, we can do it. All right, let's move to the water. So it's been determined at a unanimous vote at the standing fish price setting panel that Earl, McCur Earl McCurdy, former president of the FFAW, will indeed remain a member of the panel. So, obviously, the Association for Seafood Producers, who have been speaking out vehemently against Mr. McCurdy's inclusion, they will be completely frustrated and fed up with that particular decision, but that's what's happened. And now we're set to find out, maybe today, maybe Monday, what the final price will be on snow crab. It was pretty lucrative, to say the very least, last year, when the landed value was about $611 million. So you know what the offerings are. It's a 905 is what the union wants. 760, which is a rollover from last price, has been put forward by the ASP. So we'll, we'll get a decision. But in addition to that, the quota has gone up now be confirmed. We've long been considering the fact that it will go up some 30%. It's going up 32%. So now it's 50, over 50,000 tons versus last year's 38,000 plus tons. Wherever the price lands, this is a pretty valuable fishery. So now all of a sudden we have a landed value this year will be a billion dollars. 
so it is massive now the racket about prices i get it it's an adversarial system both sides want their their suggested price to be adopted by the standing fish price setting panel but the quota is up but that's not province-wide labrador will see a cut of some 28 percent and that is not being well received by anybody obviously so those are the numbers 32 percent up on the island 28 percent down a cut in labrador What's also curious about all this stuff is when you don't know how much material you will have to catch and to process, you know, to plan for the season, inventory, I guess you can refer to it as, it's always so late in the game, the 11th hour, when we get the final decisions offered by DFO. And that also is the case when we talk about the recreational food fishery and others. You know, a bit more time to plan would probably be very helpful. And, you know, some consultation with the people that are actually working in it would also be helpful, which did not happen when the federal fisheries minister, Joyce Murray, yesterday decided that there would be a moratorium on herring in the Gulf of St. Lawrence and Atlantic mackerel for Atlantic Canadian harvesters and in Quebec. They'll talk about long-term sustainability and, yes, the prosperity and the fact that there needs to be some recovery. Herring and mackerel are an important food source for both uh, Atlantic cod and tuna. They're also an important bait whether it be for halibut, snow crab, or lobster. So now the implication, and I don't know if it's the right or wrong decision, but there was no consultation with the harvesters and the representative groups, whether it be the Maritime Union and or the FFAW, but this comes so quickly. And you know, when uh, Minister Murray was taking the task about some of her comments about leaving the fish in the water, and the harvesters will just have to figure it out, and then there were some meetings where all, well, certainly government representatives on our side came out a little bit more encouraged, but then this happens. So... Which is it? You know, what's the science actually say regarding the need for moratorium on the herring in the Gulf and mackerel for the Atlantic Canadian harvesters and the Quebecers? But that one's going to be a big issue, even if it just boils down to the accessibility and the supply and the price of bait. So you want to take it on if you want to speak to any of those particular issues regarding the fishery we're happy to take it on now they did make a move and i don't know if this comes as a complete shock to the system given what the fo has done in the past with minimum mesh holes and daily catch limits and the like but this one is vastly different when we talk about a full moratorium on those two species all right i can't read my handwriting here what does that say oh muskrat falls so for muskrat falls Last July, we were told there was a deal in principle for the value of some $5.2 billion in additional support from the federal government. $3.2 billion associated with revenues coming from the Hibernia oil field, a $1 billion extension on the federal loan guarantee, and the need to go borrow an additional billion dollars. That financing has been secured uh, through CIBC, which uh, uh, let a series of some 21 bonds. Average interest rate around 3.38%, so that much has been secured. So I guess we are where we are. Now, as soon as we find out more about what the heck is going on with the Labrador Island link, and yes, there was a fire sensor trip, flow of power is now resumed to the province of Nova Scotia. That happened on the 24th of March. But we still don't really know what the long-term solution will be on that Labrador Island link and GE's role in it. We might be still another year away from full commissioning of the hydro development on the Grand River. We still don't really know if they've settled or solved all the problems at Soldier's Pond, so there's a lot of unknowns. We still don't know what the final price tag is for this operation that when first discussed and, and uh, put forward was on uh, pardon me, $4.7 billion, now certainly well in excess of $13 billion, So, but that particular piece of financing has been secured. How are we doing on the phone, Dave? All right. 
We're also told yesterday that the highly anticipated report coming from Rothschild and Co., we all know the province signed a $5 million deal with that particular organization to look at the value of some government assets. So that was announced in December. We were anticipating the report sometime in March, and it's not ready. So they're looking at the value of the oil and gas holdings that the province has, the Liquor Corporation, of course, Motor Vehicle Division, Marble Mountain, Bull Arm, the rest of them. Okay, so we'll get it when we get it. Now, there's a distinct relationship between Moya Green, who led the, pro- the Premier's Economic Recovery Team group, and Rothschild & Co. When she was the head of the Royal Mail, she brought them in, the end result, privatization. There's been big campaigns by NAEP and others to plant the seed of worry about the potential privatization or sell-off of some of our assets. What's going to be keenly important, just in my opinion, is that regardless of what the report says, I want to see it. The minister responsible for finance, uh, Siobhan Cody, says that it may indeed include some commercial sensitivity. That means it cannot be publicly disclosed. All right, I'd like to see a fresh set of eyes on that to determine the commercial sensitivities therein. In addition to that, whether or not it's going to see a full-throated debate in case-by-case basis on the floor of the House of Assembly is mandatory, absolutely mandatory. How could it not be? And when we're talking about taxpayer-owned and fueled and funded assets, how can we be denied a look under the hood, a look behind the covers? So that report has been delayed, but I'm keen, just like I would imagine many of you are, to get our hands on it. Okay, I heard Ben uh, Murphy on the VOC Morning Show talk about the issue that there's big, uh, there's been meetings with some 14 representatives of First Nations with Pope Francis at the Apostolic Cathedral over at the Vatican over the last number of days. And now this morning, I guess a historical moment has been referred to. Pope Francis has indeed apologized for the Roman Catholic's role, Roman Catholic Church's role in residential schools in this country. When the group last met with Pope Benedict XVI back in 2009, he simply said that the church regretted their role. There's a long way between that and a formal apology. Some people don't know what kind of value to associate with an apology, but it's certainly the first step towards healing and reparations. So the apology has been offered. Next conversation would be regarding compensation. Remember Catholic, uh, Canadian bishops were trying to fundraise some $30 million to pay out to the victims of residential schools and to establish programs for supports, mental health addictions, and what have you. And even if we're talking about the Archdiocese of St. John's and putting up some of their assets for sale for compensation dollars to go to the victims at Mount Cashel. The thought is, well, the Vatican should be paying, not the congregants of the city of St. John's and surrounding area and the potential for some of the churches to be sold out from under them. There's a good story in the media today, it's actually on the CBC, looking at the value or the assets that the Vatican is sitting on. And they are massive, as we all know. The Roman Catholic Church is the largest landholder in the world outside of any government. And if you talk about just the value of some of their land, this is fascinating stuff. So let's see if I can put my finger right on it. Okay, land. They have over 5,000 properties worldwide, majority inside of Italy. And if you've been to some of the world's major cities, you will see some of the Roman Catholic assets, cathedrals and otherwise, sitting on some of the most valuable land in the world. If you apply it simply to the province of Saskatchewan and the cheapest bit of uh, vacant farmland available in that province, which sells for an average of $900, if you add up the assets of the Roman Catholic Church, the total would reach $160 billion. 
$160 billion. And so I think the argument made by the parishioners in the Archdiocese of St. John's, you're onto something. You're absolutely right. Add to it the assets that are in the Vatican Bank, billions of dollars, $5.5 billion Canadian at the very, very least. So, I mean, what are we talking about here? There's a, a lot that can be indeed sold inside the investment envelope. They've got at least $338 billion simply with an investment of an auto showroom at Harrods in London alone. So I think the argument to be made for who should be offering this compensation versus the archdiocese and or for the victims of the residential school. And the apology is step one and the compensation next in line. All right. So the price of diesel, I don't know where it ends. Whopping big increase again, 15 cents on the island, 24 cents in Labrador. Gas remains stable, but furnace oil up almost 13 cents. A little drop in heating oil, stove heating oil about 10, I think it's 10.5 cents. Labrador, it's up by 20.7 cents. So that discussion is not going away anytime soon. If you want to have it, we can do it on this program. And we can talk about whatever you like. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openline.vocm.com. And let's get a tune on the go before we come back and speak with you. little psychedelic action for this Friday edition. 1967, one of the world's great bands, Jefferson Airplane, debuted their very first single, and it was a hit, Somebody to Love. When we come back, let's talk. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Let's see here. Let's start this morning on line number four. And good morning, Ricky. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you this morning? Not too bad, sir. How are you doing? Not bad at all, Patty. Patty, I called you this morning uh, just wondering how the PUB is justifying this this morning with our diesel and our home heating fuel. Yesterday evening at the closing of the stock market, the price of a barrel of crude was, was declining and was last time I checked before it closed it was down around $102. This morning is trading at less than 100 bucks. So how do they justify using the interruption formula to put the prices of diesel and, and furnace oil up this morning? That's one thing is on my mind. And the other thing uh, to go along hand in hand with that, if, if, and you can correct me on this number because I'm sure you know, way back uh, a year and a half, two years ago when this COVID started to strike, uh, uh, the taxpayer of this province contributed, I think it was somewhere around $20 million to come by chance refinery to warm stack it. And uh, when they come back in service, they would bring back all their employees and so on and so forth. But as you're aware of, and the province is aware of, that's been sold. And they're no longer doing anything except biodiesel and... Uh, and jet fuel, yeah. Jet fuel. Yep. So, I mean, and, and, and you know, how, how does Siobhan Cody and, and, and the other bunch in there on Confederation Hill justify this this morning to us as taxpayers this province and I think you're on the right track Ricky when you're looking for the pub to uh, to back up their the rationale behind this bump overnight to, to, to defend it because we really do kind of want politicians out of setting these types of prices the most influential component of the prices of course is tax and that's where the government can indeed speak to and justify the amount of taxation on these fuels and the the warm stacking money was 16 million dollars and there's a complicated issue surrounding that as well because you're right there they won't be refining any distillates beyond biofuel and jet fuel but that five cents isn't there isn't only just one five cents that's associated with importation and distribution there's a couple of entities get it number one is silver peak who are the former owners so there are 
there's a lot going on here with the prices. There's oh, always a big confusion between the price of barrel of oil and the price of a liter of gas, isn't there? You know, and as funny as it is to say out loud, there's not a real direct straight line or correlation between the two. You know, they're inter interrelated commodities. And there's the big deal on gas is the taxes and of course the speculation market that really drives the price of gas. So it's it's a tough one. But, I mean, you know, again, I mean, justify, someone should come on and justify because prior to this, I mean, we've all learned to accept or there was drilled into us that the the price of a barrel of oil rises and falls and depending on the descent in in what it was or the rise in what it was, it depends on if if the interruption formula was used before the Thursdays. And and for yesterday... And last night, diesel and furnace oil went, well, diesel went over 20 cents, and furnace oil went pretty close to it. Yeah, diesel on the island, 15 cents, Labrador just short of 24 cents. Furnace oil up almost 13 cents. Stove oil down a little, or not down a little, down over 10 cents, but the numbers are all over the place. And for a justification to be offered, it certainly can't be me doing it because I don't know why, I don't know why it is the way it is. No, I hear you. And one more thing before I go, up, sure. I take up your time. Uh, the government, our government here, offered uh, relief at five different steps here. I myself, I have hot water radiation in my house, and 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 I use an oil furnace. Yep. So this is this is one of the reasons why I'm half upset this morning, as you probably can understand. For me to take out my furnace, as as the Liberal government asked me to do, it has to come out of the house completely, and the tank has to go, and I have to switch over to uh, some kind of electrical boilers. They're offering, I think it is $2,500 or $5,000 for me to do that. Yeah, doubled from 25 to 5 yeah. But I'm going to have to change, the like in my house, like I have a 240. So nine chances out of ten, I'm going to have to go a 420 to accommodate the electrical, to put in the electrical boilers, because I don't have a domestic hot water boiler either for showering and bathing, things like that. That runs off my furnace. So what's five thousand dollars going to do to me for me when I'm looking at close to forty thousand to do this switchover? Yeah, the five thousand might co- might cover the electrical panel upgrade, but it certainly won't cover the cost of the transition from oil to electric. That's one thing for sure. But that's one of those. It's very much like inside of that five point plan is uh, some additional re- rebates or subsidies for purchasing an electric vehicle. We're not necessarily focusing on the most vulnerable people in the society when we're talking about switching from oil to electric or buying an electric vehicle. That's really really not hitting the people that really need the help the most. Folks who are considering either or are doing okay probably. So those two things are really a mishmash to be put into that five-point plan. So here you have reference to income supplement recipients and those getting a senior's benefit and uh, people getting a disability benefit and all of a sudden these two big high price point entry level things is I don't really know. I don't see the value in that particularly for the people who are hurting the most. Well, there, I agree with you, but well, you know, I mean, no disrespect towards uh, people who are on, on some kind of government program because they can't work, or or, or senior citizens. Uh, I have a mother who's a senior citizen, but you have to look at people like me and you, Patty, the the, the middle class, the working class. And I mean, you take it yourself. Somebody who's driving out a single mom or a single dad, who's driving out for a little bit better than a minimum wage and have to drive an hour or so to get to work with the price of everything in this province now. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's extraordinary. Cost of living, all inclusive, all inclusive, is just staggering big increases every time you turn your head. And people, just for clarification, you can indeed be working and receive some of these supports because if you are, you can qualify for the income supplement 
employment program and still be a working person, but very much so a working poor person. So it's not all just unemployed or social assistance recipients that are in that envelope, just to no. throw that out there. Oh, I agree with you, dear, about fellas like me and you with our combined income over $100,000. That's the ones who's getting nailed the biggest. Yeah, well, there was nothing in it for me, and I'm not going to – it's not about me. That's what I've been trying to, you know, tiptoe no, around that because – no, I mean, no, no, it's not about you. I don't mean to single you out as no, a no, person. No, no, no. I'm just talking I about how I think. talk about it. Like, yeah. for me, I, I was going to not say anything along the lines of, well, there's nothing in it for me. <laughs> well, and, and, Patty, <laughs> you, I, no, I hear you talking about your family, and, and I'm telling you about my family. There's nothing in it for me. No, I get it. No, right. we don't uh, hit any or check any of those boxes either. No. Anyway, thank you for letting me vent this morning, sir, and you have a good day, and I hope you have a prosperous weekend. The very same to you, Ricky. Thanks for the call. Okay, buddy. Right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, when there's a support program, whatever pots of money are being put forward by the provincial government, it did indeed help some. That, absolutely. But even some of the increases, when you talk about over the course of a year, it's not a whole lot more money coming per month. They say there might be additional supports coming in the budget, which is on the 7th of April. But the electric vehicle subsidy or rebate and the monies associated with flipping from oil to electric, the most vulnerable people in society aren't considering either. So that's where it kind of missed the mark for a lot of folks who were thinking, okay, here comes some support that I must be in line for some. And even an income supplement, that's going to impact some 162,000 people in the province, and that's a lot. Seniors benefits, another uh, 50,000 seniors. So the people who are getting the seniors benefit, they have a net family income of less than $29,000. So they'll get that bump as well. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, tons of time to speak with you. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Let's go line number five. Good morning, Cyril. You're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show, Cyril. Yes. Uh, tried to get on your uh, program a couple of days ago. And I guess what I'm going to talk about probably is some old news. Uh, uh, Conway sort of uh, got me on the way, I guess, to call. Um I guess he never uh, seen the news a few days ago. Mostly my talking was going to be about Derek Butler, the, the ASP, uh, some of the stuff he's been uh, he's been putting out there. Uh, well, I know Conrad, the uh, fish is out of the Gulf. He was praising up the good uh, crab he got over there, hopping uh, PEI and how to just wait big money. But what we got here in Newfoundland is, is uh, garbage. But I've never seen or read him saying that. Like, he was on the show, he didn't say anything like that. Well, well, he said it was, uh, it was full, it, it was on the NTV News, he's been on now a couple of times. Just uh, reference to the barnacles. Yes, he said, well, he said it was full of barnacles. It, it's not worth as much money as what it's worth up in uh, home Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And when Conrad pulls his crab pot in, in, over, the, in over the side of his boat, he, uh, there's only a, a Quebec night shore and all up there. He can practically see people pulling theirs aboard. So it's, it's, the, same, it's the same crab. And, and besides that, uh, when, when the all this crab goes to the plants, it's, uh, it's all clean and everything. Yeah. He, he, he didn't set a very good present for, uh, for, the, for the crab on an old East Coast. I don't know, uh, you know, even for the market conditions and, and for the, you know, he, he's working for the fish plants. 
Oh, yeah. And, and, and he's just ra- he, he raked down the whole uh, crab industry here on, on an old East Coast. I, I, I don't understand. Well, I mean, I don't have a dog in the fight, but obviously the harvesters want more and the association wants more. It's just the way, or wants to pay less, pardon me. Now, I do know a guy who's a buyer, and because I didn't know what the difference would be between snow crab here and snow crab right off of Cape Breton, but he says it is quite clear that the market will pay more for that product. Why? I don't know. Can't be about a barnacle because when I go buy a crab, I'm not buying a whole crab necessarily. I'm buying crab meat. So I don't know what big deal the barnacle has to, to do with it, but apparently there's a less intensive to process the bigger crab. You get more meat per crab that's processed. So that's part of why he said they pay more for it and the market can bear a higher price for the crab over there. That's just from a buyer that's got nothing to do with mr butler um but yes patty i'm in uh, uh dragon crab pots uh, uh, i'm retired now uh, across the deck of boats ever since uh, uh, the early 80s when uh, when they got those uh, new licenses but i uh, i know we shipped to a number of companies we shipped to a company one time in uh, up in st mary's uh, shipped home for six or seven years and they had the best kind of market uh, japanese used to come over and be in their plants and and praising up you know the the crab and like don't uh, like don't go breaking the shells and all this kind of stuff and uh, fetch the top dollar we, we that's some of the best money uh, even with the price of crab that was uh, noted for that year where we got uh, 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 debt and more for our crab every single year the highest kind of bonuses and uh, the crab was worth something the crab is worth something even if look I don't know what the panel's going to do I anticipated a decision today or Monday because the crab fishery in some areas opens up on Monday so we got to know what the price is um, at 760 with a 32% increase we have some serious value associated with for all entities don't we I mean it's going to have a landed value in and around a billion dollars this year when the entirety of the fishery not so long ago was valued at a billion dollars now just one species that's just amazing Yes, it is. It, uh, everybody is, uh, fishermen is, uh, is out and arrow to the wives, and uh, and uh, wherever you go, you see guys going with crab pots. Everybody is, is excited. But uh, I think uh, Derry Butler, most of his, uh, if his beefs was with uh, the, that panel, took on Earl McCurdy. Yep. And it seems like it's, it's it's just driving the man insane. I, uh, well, when he was on the news on his on his rant, he uh, he was he was like a fellow didn't know what he was saying. Like, you know, just because there was stuff there was damaging. And as uh, uh, far as I'm concerned, he, 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 he should re- retire from what he's, uh, what he's doing on that panel. I think the, the fish plan should get clear from as far as I'm concerned. You know, it was, uh, just really damaging things that he said. Yeah, now, what kind of actual meaningful damage would that have for price per pound or market access i don't know maybe very little because the end buyer they don't really care what keith sullivan or mccarty Derek butler me or you have to say about anything in the water so i don't know how much impact it will have but i know it stings uh for the harvesters in particular but i think you know i'm not a both sides uh, argument kind of guy but you're right when mccarty was appointed to the panel mr butler you know they locked horns they were each other's nemesis for a long long time so mr butler and his group reacted quick and harshly same thing that when mr butler came out and said what he said about mccurdy's inclusion that sparked the protest that i think we saw last week whether it be at st john's and confederation building so mccurdy is the uh, he's the common variable here isn't he 
Yes, it, it did. But uh, all that panel ever did and was going to do now is uh, check out the marking conditions, uh, uh, what it is in the United States or the rest of the world. But after saying that, um, uh, one time uh, you said something on your show, it was only picked up on your radio station here in Newfoundland. But whatever you say today, if it's either be damaging, that goes all over the world within in, within two minutes. Don't they know? You know what I mean? It's just unbelievable. So you just got to watch watch what you're saying. So. Uh, you know, if to someone down in the states, uh, because uh, I don't know, but if they're uh, uh, some of the shows down around Boston and Byers and everything, uh, uh, I think somebody told me sometime the week now they uh, they supposed to come up with some kind of pricing and and uh, the market conditions and things like that. Eh? Mm. I appreciate you making time for the show this yes. morning, Cyril. Thanks a lot. I'd like to say one more thing uh, about, the, about the herring and uh, mackerel. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, well, the, ma- the mackerel fishery, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, it was there for years, and, and as a matter of fact, we was out and made big money out of that. But we don't know because the mackerel comes from Nova Scotia and comes down through. We we got a job to tell here in Newfoundland, uh, uh, you know, if they don't show up to the type of fish they are. So really, uh, we don't know what the stocks are like. But hearing. Uh, o- over the years here in, in those days, we've had those small hearing every years, and uh, you grow uh, the hearing is too small. Everybody is saying, "Well, look how many it is. Give us a year or two now, and we'll uh, get out there and and to be abundance." But when those years, two, three, five years have passed, and we don't see those hearing anymore, we don't know where they go. Like a few years ago, we had uh, only five, five, five or six years ago, every spring for about six or seven years, uh, we had a little bit of a fishery here. We had a fishery in the fall. But by all of a sudden, uh, those herring disappeared. We had a, a boat on the go here all last fall doing a survey. I don't know, uh, I haven't heard anything on it, but uh, I know when she was here after four or five days, they never even found the herring. Yeah, they are two extremely unpredictable species, that's for sure. And the whole migratory route is changing, whether it be because of warming waters or otherwise. But the fellas I know had to tell me the exact same thing you just said about the herring and the mackerel. Sarah, I'm going to take another call before the break, but you uh, good luck with the fishery this year. Okay. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to line number six. Take more to the executive director at Music NL. That's Rhonda Talkai. Rhonda, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Grand today. Thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good. I wanted to call in and just talk a little bit about the local music scene. Sure. And also share a little teaser about a really cool program we're launching next week, right before budget day. So don't want it to get lost because that's going to be a, you know, two budgets coming down on one day. So I got to get out ahead of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be a busy day for all of us. Yeah. So uh, one of the um, programs we're launching next week, and it's exciting. And of course, it's in um, partnership with uh, the provincial government and Come Home Year. We'll be helping. Um, Local community groups uh, hire musicians for all the festivities they're doing during Come Home Year. So it's called the Community Presenters Program. And we got the inspiration actually from our colleagues in Nova Scotia, uh, inspired us. They have a program similar to that. And what it will allow is your local um, live music venues. So let's say St. Gabriel's Hall down on the South Coast. Uh, they're going to be wanting to do festivities this summer. We're actually going to just support them by giving them some funding to hire local musicians. Awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. And um, it's needed because, of course, a lot of these, um, I would say, 
not-for-profit social enterprise community groups have struggled just like everyone else um, not able to get their their funds or do their fundraising so by us I guess stimulating them to hire that local talent it's going right back into the pockets of of our members and local musicians so I want everyone out there that uh, that works in the communities and not think about all your festivities this summer to get ready for next Wednesday the community presenters program it's to help them hire musicians what are you hearing from your members or and or other musicians now that the restrictions have been lifted and they're able to gig a little bit more frequently with more people in the building or the bar or the hall are people coming out they are yeah they really are and uh, people are coming out and our members are booked like they're turn they're it's, it's exciting but it's also frustrating because you're seeing these these groups and live venues uh struggling to now hire acts so one of i think the roles we need to play is to let everyone know out there there's lots there's new emerging artists we, i mean we've got our membership continues to grow there's so many new people breaking into the scene so people are coming out um, they're so excited and thankful to be out. And as well, uh, there's an abundance of local music um, that you can tap into if you're looking for someone to play that gig and, and celebrate whatever it is you're celebrating in your hometown this summer. So it's there's a lot of hope happening, and there's so much on the horizon. I think we're just taking the Newfoundland and Labrador music scene from good to great in 22-23. Yeah, fingers crossed, because you know far too many people just view the local performers as doing it as a hobby when there's some full time musicians that really got pummeled during the pandemic. There was some supports, in my opinion, not enough because we're not only talking about the cultural fabric, we're actually talking about a component of the economy that got hit just like everybody else got hit. So I'm glad that they're back on stage. Novak's at the Rock House tonight. Awesome. And one one final thing before sure. you leave. That's exactly right. We're we're not just the you know the backtrack. We can be the forefront, and we are driving the economy, and we will continue to be there to do that and grow and get bigger and better. So, awesome. I wish you good luck. Keep us in the loop, Rhonda. Whenever there's anything to talk about in the music industry. Okay, Patty. Bye. Good to have you on. Bye bye, Sir Rhonda. Talk. She's the ED at Music NL. Uh, take a break. When we come back, Bob's in the queue. He wants to talk about the COVID numbers since the restrictions have been lifted. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number four. Bob, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing this morning? Doing okay, thanks. How about you? Good, my buddy. Good. Good. You're the man in the know, so I figured I'd, I'd give you a shout this morning. There's some things in my mind uh, that maybe you've answered in the past, and I do. I apologize if you have. But I guess the concern being with the higher numbers that we're getting lately at the COVID and that, and the effect of having masks mandatory in the past two years, the lower numbers that we got, is there any thought or, you know, of anything that's maybe put in place to bring back mandatory masks in the, uh, in the everyday life? I don't know. A couple of things. So... People will continually tell me that the masks make no difference, but the numbers are clear, regardless of what we're talking this province or right across the country. Masks go on, the cases stabilize. Masks come off, cases rise. It, it just happens. And it's not just about the mask. Just this is my own, own personal opinion. It's also because when you have those types of public policies that are in place and made mandatory, it creates a mindset. People will inevitably be just a little bit more cautious and thoughtful when these mandates are in place versus when they're all thrown out and all the restrictions are dropped, then people just think it's over. 
It's just human nature. It just seeps into your actions and your behavior. And next thing you know, people are doing something they might not do if there was a mask mandate in place. So is yeah, there any thought of bringing it back? I don't know, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, it's so sad, Patty, because, you know, and, and, and no disrespect intended, but respect intended, for me personally, I went two years without even so much as a snipple. And as I, for me personally, sanitizing, wearing the mask, keeping our distance, to me, I credit that to all of that, what was put in place by Dr. Fitzgerald and the health care healthcare team and how it kept all of us as safe as possible. Mask get dropped, and the first thing, 600, 300, 500 a day. And I know the severity of the illness is not as great as what it was when it was first introduced. However... There's still cases. People are still sick. Yeah, and that's simply that's a numbers game, isn't it? Just so mu- so many more people that are con- contracting the virus that inevitably there'll be more people quite sick with it, hospitalized, and die. So yeah. look, I. I it's not just one thing either, is it? It's been the combination of everything. Just the physical distancing and the masking and the vaccinations and the sanitizing and the covering your coughs and sneezes and not going out as much. I mean, it's all played a role. It's not one thing that has been the be-all and end-all. But when you take out one, two, three of the you know, the public health toolbox pile, then, of course, we're going to see an uptick. Now, can we live with restrictions forever? Probably not. You know, realistically, probably not. But if you, you know, if you reduce the number of public health policies that were dropped, then, of course, it just opens up the door for more virus. I think what we're going to hear in the next little week, now, I'm curious as to what the update will be today, but... This is straight up from Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Hagee. If capacity in the hospital, and we already have to worry because we've got thousands upon thousands of surgical backlogs and diagnostic appointments that have been deferred and delayed and postponed or canceled. So if we end up with another issue, and there are some 780 healthcare workers who are self-isolating at this point, Dr. Fitzgerald and Dr. Hagee said, hospital capacity for COVID patients is between 40 and 60. We're at 40 as of Wednesday. So what happens if we start to creep up? Is there any consideration of change in the water on the beans? I don't know. But they're the ones who told us what capacity was, so they're the ones who are going to have to react when and if we start approaching 60, uh, which who knows what the number will be today. Uh, And I don't know. I don't have the answers to this one. I just know that... So many people who are needing some attention inside the hospitals that have been waiting for so long, we might make that list longer if all of a sudden we've got the hospitals full of COVID patients. So, man. And with the number of workers that are out nowadays, I mean, we all know how hard those people work, and I have this on top of them. I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's just crazy. It's hard to fathom. Paramedics are worried about what the wave might look like. Fewer nurses, like Yvette Coffey at the Registered Nurses Union, say there's some 600 vacancies. They are up to their neck. They're at the breaking point. So many of them are self-isolating. That has an impact beyond just the nurses themselves. Rodney Goody from the Paramedics Association says fewer nurses and some backfill taken away from the emergency room increases the time that they wait to offload patients. So it's not just one thing. It's all so interrelated in healthcare that the issue on COVID impacts everything else in healthcare. The surgical backlog impacts everything in healthcare. So it's been a tricky time to navigate, and I'm glad it wasn't my job, Dr. Fitzgerald's, because, you know, she was deemed to be quite stern with her restrictions, and then very very quickly there was a big turn, and everything got dropped. So I don't know yeah. where we're going to go from here, but I'm curious to see what the numbers look like today, especially the hospitalization numbers, right? Because that's going to be the benchmark. We have no idea how many cases are in the community, but there's obviously thousands. Thousands, 
thousands of yeah, thousands, this, whatever it is. There's no reflection on Dr. Fitzgerald or nothing. Like I, I'm just looking at, for me personally and for the rest of us, is just it just seems like it, it exploded once things started. Like people, instead of, I guess, more consideration on a personal basis, it kind of went by the wayside and all of a sudden, boom. Like a stick of dynamite went off, and everything just started to explode. And yeah. and and the numbers that we're seeing, are we actually seeing the actual numbers? No, because because I think it's, you know we're seeing probably a, 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 an eighth of them, which is scarier. Well, the one of the mathematical biologists at Memorial University, Amy Herford, she says that it's probably whatever the active caseload numbers and the numbers that they present there is if you had a PCR test uh, through public health. Not a positive result on a rapid test if you're a student or a family member of a student. None of those are included. They can be self-reported, but they're not in that PCR number. So she says it's very likely at least five times those numbers. On Wednesday, we were told there was 920 new cases from Monday. So if you five times that, we're talking about at somewhere in the neighborhood 5,000 cases out there so and that was just yeah. a one day update and so I don't know where we're going from here and I try not to be stoking the f- the flames of fear because that's not helpful folks looks like they're still a lot of people are still wearing their masks that's just my personal experience as I traipse around town running my errands but fingers crossed that we can weather the storm but I think we're probably going to hear from public health in the next week or so as we see where the numbers go. Dr. Haggy thinks that we've peaked. I'm not sure what leads him to believe that but i hope he's right i hope he's right too patty because like i said the hard work that those folks put in to get everything to where it was to it just is as shameful if it, if it keeps going and gets worse and worse but for everybody yeah i mean the whole system and, and, and our own lives sort of thing the other thing i wanted to ask and and uh, i don't know if it's being mentioned uh the covid test kits yeah we had, we had an incident where we were a contact of a contact and we went looking for COVID test kits. I got them, but it cost me $90 for four individual kits. Yeah, it's madness. And very much unlike the rest of the country where most provinces, you can just walk into a coffee shop, pick one up for nothing. Yeah, because like with with the increase and stuff, and I guess at our age and the fact that we're around our elders and people who are vulnerable, you kind of want to make sure that if you are a contact of a contact, even though you have no symptoms, you'd like to test to make sure that you definitely don't have it after the 72-hour exposure timeline, whatever it was kind of thing, right? Yeah, and it's not foolproof. Uh, and that's what no. people have not included in their thoughts. Here. They say, well, if you're young and uh, healthy, you're going to be okay. Yeah, I might be okay, even though I'm not that young or healthy. That person might be okay, but the person that they pass it on to might not be. It's infectious. Exactly. That's where, you know, we can't... It, it's not just about one person. It's about public health, because that's what exactly it is. It's public health. Anyway. Uh, anyway, my friend, thank you. And uh, as always, your wealth of information. Greatly appreciate it. Keep up the great work and be safe. Thanks, Bob. Take care of yourself. All right, bud. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, very quick before we get to the news, I want to give another shout-out to the good folks at Special Olympics Newfoundland and Labrador. They got a flash sale coming up at their new thrift store, which is at 1154 Topsail Road. It's tomorrow the 2nd. All shoes, a dollar. All boots, two bucks a pair. Books are only 50 cents each. So they got a lot of product inside their new thrift store supporting Special Olympics Newfoundland and Labrador. If you're interested in getting a deal, there's a deal to be had tomorrow at the shop. Okay, let's take a break. 
break. Ken Cabanas on the queue. He wants to talk about Bell Island Ferry. Chess wants to talk about the top up for seniors. And then we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number five. Ken, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty Daly. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks. How about you? Uh, doing really well. Uh, thanks for asking, Patty. Uh, I, I was going to try to call yesterday. I, I'm prompted to call you because of listening to uh, a, a regular caller, uh, Mike, Mike, I believe it's Mike Higdon, is it? Uh, a gen, generally known by his first name. Call about the furious situation yesterday in particular, referring to the six-day tie-up of uh, the $65 million ferry called uh, the MV Legionnaire. So I want to comment on that a little bit. Uh, and just to say to Mike, I know Mike uh, pisses off government. I understand from some other sources that uh, they, they're doing their best to try to shut him up and to uh, even bully and threaten him with legal action and so on. But Mike has a lot of information, and I think it's all pretty well 99.9% true. He has so much, I think he has difficulty sometimes getting it all out. But uh, I hope he keeps doing what he's doing. Anyway, Patty, uh, I, first, that whole issue of the tie-up of uh, of that ferry for six days was just absolutely incredible. So it's if you count in the the entire spectrum of cost on that ferry system, including the taxes we had to pay and the extra work had to be done after it came into operation and the extra work on the wharf, it's pretty well close to a $65 million ferry. And it tied up for six days because of a lack of one individual. And I'm, by the way, I'm not, I'm not condemning that individual, but they didn't have an engineer. So a $65 million boat is had to tie up. Absolutely incredible. And that's another example of total mismanagement by this department called Transportation and Infrastructure. <laughs> the way Mike describes it is almost mind-boggling. And, and I, I've, I've begun to do as much research as I can, uh, and I want to just mention a few things about that department. But, I, I, like, why was there not some cross-training done? I, I don't know how many engineers they have. I know that if you're an engineer on a Legionnaire, you can transfer you can transfer over to the Flanders because you're already familiar with the whole uh, operation of that vessel, but the other way around doesn't work. But why was there not some cross-training done so they're never stuck where – you know, things can happen. People have lives and people get sick and there may be lots of reasons why someone can't make a shift. But to leave a $65 million ferry tied because of the lack of one individual, there's something wrong with, with the way that happened. And from what I understand, that engineer would have stayed on. He was off uh, or due to come off, would have stayed on if he were paid some overtime. And there may be other issues around that. But I'd like to ask the minister and the department now if they will come clean and never give us the real truth. And, and real facts of what goes on sometimes. But what's the difference? What did it cost to then use the crew of the Flanders, uh, I'm sorry, the crew of, of the Legionnaire to uh, provide an enhanced schedule? That cost a lot of overtime and meals. I hear it even cost hotel bills for some of the crew so that the Flanders could then for those six days be on an enhanced schedule. So what would be the difference had they paid that engineer, that individual, the overtime to stay on as opposed to what they paid out. Uh, like it, it just doesn't make sense, Patty, to see a damn big ferry down there uh, that was badly needed to get commuters back and forth to work and other people with medical appointments tied up because of one individual. Man, that is just incredible to take. Yeah, I mean, the ferry system is 
perpetually imperfect. It's never going to be exactly what all the residents and or potential travelers want it to be. Sure. But it seems to be a little worse than that. Uh, and that's all the time. Even if we go back to the failure that was the vessel replacement strategy, it never worked like it was written. And then all of the other woes and the lack of the swing vessels and some of the concerns with the, the type of ferries we bought and the training for the upkeep and the maintenance yeah. on them, it's just all a bit of a dog's breakfast. And that whole thing with that ferry replacement strategy. So in 2006, when that strategy came out, and I've read through it, I still have it, uh, I still have it on my computer here. I mean, they were going to build, build uh, I, I think it was eight vessels that would be built in the water by 2011, five years later. They had trouble to get even the two boats put in the water by 2012. That's the Grace Sparks and the, the Hazel McIsaac. And they weren't without without problems and issues and delays and so on. So, I mean, the whole department uh, is just totally inept. I, I just can't believe. And, and now we have this market-sounding sham. It, it, it's billed as a, as a public engagement or a consultation with the communities. That market-sounding, Patty, is nothing more than a sham call for proposals for from the private sector who might be interested in taking over or managing our ferry system. But I think what is needed, I, I think it's high time, and you wouldn't have to do a full study, but I think that entire department for the last 15 years needs to be investigated. I mean, whether you call it transportation or works or transportation and infrastructure, it has been nothing but incompetence. And if I can, just give me a minute or so. Let me just mention a few things because I made a submission to the uh, theory sounding uh, engagement, public engagement, uh, and I referred to the department that they didn't need to do an external market sounding. What they need to do is an internal, full-scale, in-depth investigation of the department to find out how much of taxpayers' dollars has been wasted by the incompetence and a mismanagement of that department. So if you look at, for instance, the recent report that came out about the procurement of the Legionnaire and Veteran, that was a scathing report, Patty, about the wastage of money, the lack of planning, and the lack of management of that whole process. I, I, I did a bit of research. I don't know if you recall the Adelaide. It, it was a ship that they purchased from Estonia way back in, uh, I think it was 1,099. So they paid $1.2 million for it. By the time they got rid of it, they had spent $20 million on that ferry, and then they scrapped it and sold it for $76,000. Look at the Humber Valley paving fiasco that happened where they didn't call in a $9.5 million bond. That was the Department of Transportation as well. Look at the uh, – go back and look at the uh, – what's it called? The Sunshine List for the last four or five years. And again, no disrespect to uh, the people who are crew members on that ferry. If they get a pile of overtime and make a shitload of money, I'm not knocking that. But if you look at the fact that in 2017, a first mate who was supposed to make about $78,000 actually earned a little over $200,000 because of overtime. So the total, the whole department, and I'm not referring to the, you know, to the, I am referring, I'm sorry, to the decision makers in the department. It is total incompetence. It is mismanagement. And it's time for someone to do an internal investigation of that department. You'd save an awful lot of money, taxpayers' dollars, if you looked at that department and got rid of people there who don't know what they're doing. And I think that's where Mike is spot on and has lots of information to share with the public. Appreciate the time this morning, Ken. You take care and have a good day, Pat. Oh, and congratulations on the grand deduction. Even though it's for, I think, an 11-week locum, it's a good example for other communities to mimic that we all play a role in recruiting healthcare professionals. It's not just the government. 
Right on, Patty, and thanks so much. And I want to—I always say I, I got to thank my community because once that website was set up, uh, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of people who joined it, and um, well over a couple of thousand messages and comments. So that that went really well. The work—just the last thing I'll say about that, though, our work is not done yet. Dr. Ar starts on Monday. Uh, I guess he's on his way here to Bell Island now. Uh, he's going to be here for eleven for eleven uh, weeks, but I want to make sure that this community gets behind him and backs him up and supports him in negotiating a longer-term contract to stay here on Belon because that's the plan. While he's here for those 11 weeks, he will be discussing with Eastern Health about a, 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 a more permanent contract to stay here. Let's get behind him again. Appreciate this, Ken. Thank you. Take care, Patty. You have a good day. You Bye. too. Bye-bye. Uh, will I take Chess before the break? Yeah, let's go. Line number eight. Good morning, Chess. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you today, everybody? Very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, bad, bad. I got a question for you. I was just wondering about this money that the government put out the other day. I'm just curious about the seniors. Why do one lot of seniors get it and the other seniors don't get it? What money are we talking about, Jess? It's like the money that the, the raise and that stuff, or GST raise, uh, the raise that the seniors were getting. Well, there's a couple of different uh, pots of money. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. Uh, maybe it's old age security, where yeah, those 75 age years of age. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. got a one-time benefit and 10%. Yeah. Okay, that's the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there's no good answer to that one. Uh, uh, Minister no. Freeland says that it's because as you age into the 75 plus, there is more yeah. and more cost to be borne, but I think that's a bit nonsensical. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, yeah. you know, if I'm 67 versus 77, going to the grocery yeah. store costs the same. Yeah, that's right. I, I disagree with that, what they've done with the poor senior, lower class seniors, because, you know, this money, everybody, you wouldn't treat an old dog like that, Penny. Come on. Right, and another thing, that two hundred dollars they put out for other people, like social distance people, like me uh, and everybody else, that's only a slap in the face. That's only a one-time deal. Just like me, I went down to the grocery store two days ago and priced a bag of flour. It was only nine ninety-seven. Went down yesterday to get it, forty uh, for, uh, thirteen ninety-seven for the same bag of flour. When the, when the storekeepers found out about the government was sending a bit of money for the poor people, they checked the prices more higher. That don't make sense to me. I think the government should step in and put the law down to them storekeepers because that's insane. You know what I mean? But do we really want the government getting involved at that level? Yes, put them in. That's what they're there for. You vote them in. I vote them in. Everybody voted them in. And what are they doing? It seems like to me... They're the ones, it's just like the mafia, the government, because when you don't want the poor old seniors, I wouldn't do that to a dumb animal, Teddy. I wouldn't do that to a dumb animal, what they done with them. You know what I mean? If you retire tomorrow, you wouldn't get that raise, and, and, and your mother got it. You know what I mean? That's, that's, un, that, that's unreal, unreason. I think myself, they should go over and look at their books before he does anything else. Because I think when he brought it down the other day, Shadi brought it down to get people, Newfoundlanders, a kick in the side of the head. That's all he done with them. Kicked them in the face because they were complaining about the food prices up. 
I, I don't know if government can get involved in the price directly inside the store. You know, some types of different supports for different pots of money that go directly yeah. to individuals, okay, but I think we're asking for things that we'll regret if we want politicians to be in putting price tags on food or politicians yeah, putting politician price on food. What like you're getting and what I'm getting, the politician knows how much money I'm getting and they know what you're getting. They should be able to do something for the poor people of Newfoundland. Not give them a slap beside the face, which he done the other day. Appreciate the time, Chess. Hope I you have a good weekend. You too, everybody. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's take a break. When we go back, heat pumps. All right. Don't go away. Well, welcome back to the show. Just before we get to Eileen on line four, I want to say good morning, safe travels, and good luck to all the girls who are traveling to Southwest Arm Academy for the Ball Hockey Provincials today. It's the first time the school has hosted this tournament, and apparently the girls are pumped. Hopefully everyone has a great time. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Eileen. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Paddy. The first time caller. Welcome. Um, I um, was wondering now uh, if you went from oil to electricity and uh, you got the rebate from the government, which I think is 5000 or something. A subsidy for the switch, yeah. Yes. Now, do I have to get rid of my oil furnace? you got to get rid of it all, tank and everything included. Oh, because where the oil is so expensive. And if i got a heat pump put in, well, who's saying that we won't have any power outages? So, you know, if I kept my furnace, so I could have that for like a backup. Yeah, and I don't even think yeah. that's very practical, to be honest with you. Now, the yeah. heat pump, there's a heat pump rebate program. That's a partnership between the province and Newfoundland Labrador Hydro. If you go to takechargenl.ca, you'll get some information there. But there's okay. a wild fluctuation between the cost of installing a heat pump. You can go from two or $3,000 mini split all the way up to a ducted, central ducted system, which could cost you up to $20,000. So either go to takechargenl for more info there or coal air contracting. And it's not Call it's called C O L E call air contracting.ca. They've got information there about rebates as well. Okay, well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Anything else? No, that's it. To uh, have a good day, the very same to you. Thank you, Eileen. Okay, take Bye. care. Bye bye. Yeah, it's really not a one size fits all in the mini split world because there's a wild disparity between a ductless system mini split to a heat pump and a central ducted uh, impl- application. So, yeah, it could be up to $20,000. And of course, it depends on the home, right? Whatever upgrades might be required. Uh, let's get this one done. Line number two, Bruno, you're on the air. Good morning, <clears throat> Patty. I hope you're well today. You too. Um, yeah, I'd like to talk to you about uh, a bit about Muskrat Falls, and uh, I listened to your call yesterday and your chat with my uh, colleague uh, that replaced me in, after my retirement, uh, and she did a pretty good job of laying out the issues. Um, with proceeding with uh, developing Beta Nord, that uh, only focusing on the development and ignoring the fact that this stuff is going to get burned uh, really is self serving and pretty limited in the analysis, uh, which is unfortunate. Uh, and it's unfortunate that you, it appears that. Uh, the approval of Bay de Nord may be imminent, and I'm still hoping beyond hope that uh, another one of my former colleagues, the Environment Minister, 
finds the strength to say no, that our planet is more important than Newfoundland's short-term uh, financial interests. Uh, but we, we shall see. But assuming that things proceed as it appears, that we're going to have the go-ahead, as several people pointed out yesterday, it's going to be, what, six to eight to ten years before any of this oil is delivered into the marketplace to Europe. Equinor says first oil maybe as early as 2028. Maybe. Well, that's the company. Uh, in, in, any, in, in any case, the world will be a very different place by, you know, call it 2028. Uh, and we see how quickly things change in the last year or two between pandemics and uh, the up social upheavals and military upheavals. But wouldn't that be a concern that the company would have to bear versus the environment minister or anybody else? I know they look at social aspects and economic aspects inside an environmental assessment, but market availability, that's a company concern. Then why would the government care? If the company can't find a market for their oil, they shut down the project, right? What's that have to do with the government? Well, the government... <laughs> The government knows that if it's developed, it's going to be burned. And if it's going to be burned, it's going to be... Uh, but I thought you said there the wouldn't end, be a market. ...the end of things for the planet. We've got to start acknowledging that. On the East Coast, we've got this project that is imminently about to be approved, which will, when it's uh, burned, will add significantly. And on the West Coast, we've got a pipeline that belongs to the federal government that's going to be triple the amount of oil they're heading to a water line uh, and shipped through some of the most treacherous waters on the planet, incidentally, to get out of there, posing a risk in the short term to the marine environment in the long term, uh, making it virtually impossible to meet our climate targets. But no one seems to care about that. We're so gung-ho on the jobs and on trying to pretend that it's only development will ignore the, the fact that we're going to burn the oil. and that Nobody ignores that, Bruno. You have a nasty habit of doing that all the time, like well, every single time I'm you call. I'm asking you, how are we going to meet those things? How are we going to meet them? Well, if you look at what the federal government says and other targets to meet them, if you're doing the comparison of what oil and carbon intensity is from one region to another across the country, international averages, if we're told that, uh, for instance, in Alberta, it's 77, uh, 77 kilograms per barrel, the international average... The uh, okay, the okay. No, you don't want to hear it, but that's fine. And I, I can admit freely that's only extraction. There also has to be consideration of the life cycle because everyone knows that to be true. You don't just pump it for the sake of pumping it and someone drinks it. We know that it has to be refined and utilized in a variety of different products. No one has ever Very said any good. different. Nobody in the world has ever said different. But if we're looking at extraction numbers, which have to count in the overall life cycle, carbon intensity, and emissions of a product, it's an important part of the component of it. You don't want to hear it because it kind of do, knocks a, a couple small, of holes in your argument. That's all. It. It's a small part of it. it. When you tally the whole thing up in the end, it will be slightly better than burning Alberta oil. No doubt about it. But that doesn't change the fact that it doesn't uh, help us meet the uh, reduction targets of 40 to 60 percent in, in the short term when we increase on both the East Coast and the West Coast the developments. Now, let's own up to the fact that we're just heading for Armageddon. For my part, 
personally, I'm going to start doing yoga very strenuously. And I suggest that you and others do the same thing to increase their flexibility. Because oh, we're come on. Kiss, kiss our asses goodbye. See, there soon. you go, right? I mean, there you go. Same thing. Well, well you know, just don't replay you think the last call. It's logical. You don't like the logic of it, do you? I can't touch my own toes, let alone get along with your foolishness here this morning. Well, you're you're ignoring the fact that if we develop nobody's ignoring it. on both the east and the west coast, we're going to cook. You're presuming you, it's a presumption. All right, it's a presumption. All right then. Uh, let's anyway, off to the break. Our, I go. Favorite big bugaboo. Uh, There's nothing new to add. Unless you have anything new to add, no, we, will, we don't oh, yeah, have time this morning. I've got a lot new to add. I've got a lot new to add. Uh, you know, we've fin- just added that billion-dollar loan guarantee that makes Newfoundland Canada's Greece, where we keep giving you money because you can't afford to repay it's the not a, It's loan. not additional money. It's the federal loan guarantee has been extended a billion dollars. Because you can't afford to pay the last one that you got. Okay, so that's not new. I'll give you one more chance at offering something new before I have to go to the break. Well, yeah. I'm, uh, that report on Muskrat Falls uh, shows some pretty disturbing things that haven't been gone over uh, that I think bear some scrutiny. Uh the unit two vibration of uh, the synchronous condenser uh, of the uh, um, generators remains unsolved right now. There was a, a bipole trip December 11, 2021. Uh, turns out the synchronous condensers two and three are in nonconformance relating to the critical shaft speed, the resonances are occurring that could prove detrimental to long-term operation, according to the report. Um, And, of course, Hydro continues to find insufficient basis to direct GE immediately to undertake the foundation modification at this time because that study points out that the foundations aren't properly built. They're under-designed. when you build anything, if you don't build the foundations properly, you're in big trouble. That you are. Oh. And, and I'm over time. We'll leave it there for today. But, but appreciate but the uh, time, Bruno. Have a nice down. weekend. No, appreciate well, the time. Finished. You, you are finished. Not, you've decided to let Nalcor. No, here we go again. Yeah. From- Danny Williams, Nalcor, we're letting them all off the hook, even though we don't. And so I'm not else well, much sure to say. Finish. Very quickly. You don't quickly. want to hear the news. You don't want to hear the news. It's the same stuff every time, Bruno. I'll let you wrap it up very quickly. No, go it's ahead. it's not the same news. You've got foundations that are undersized. And despite being told, Nalcor has told uh, GE that it's fine. We're going to see about it later. And they're ignoring it. And the sea electrodes are a problem. They're the, the, they're one meter too low on the uh, barriers, and on our side, there's an absence of remote monitoring of this of the sea dipole that uh, okay. other installations use, including other GE ones. So you're not going to know if you have a problem there until it's way too late, according to this report. Uh, did you do you realize that? Yes, we do, and we, and we talk about it. We realize it, and we understand it. And 
I'm, I'm not so sure how you think that. Uh, maybe you just think we're all a bunch of stupid noofies who don't know their head no, from their I hole. Don't. But nothing uh, like that. Don't put that stuff on me. Well, you do. You, you've called us that in the past. You know, no, we're letting never, everyone get away never, with it. We don't never, know what we're thinking about. We don't know what we're doing. That. We are letting everyone get away with it. I we're not asking any questions. That, so stop yeah. being abusive. I have never called you or anybody else a dumb newfie. Yeah, but you've certainly said I've we're a bunch of gutless wimps. And since no, you before haven't. 1990, I've been praying and pleading to save your culture because it was being destroyed by the excesses of the federal government. Right. So, so we, don't to, lay any of that stuff on me. To save us. On your behalf. To save us from ourselves. Years, and I've been doing okay. it better than you. Yeah, that's right, Bruno. Because you're your people, and I've loved your ladies. You're saving us fact, from ourselves. Down to it. You're saving us from ourselves. It's the exact same thing. I'm I appreciate your time. I'm taking a break. Have a nice weekend. Goodbye. Break time. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the show. Let's go line number five. Katie, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. How are you? Doing okay, thanks. How about you? I'm doing great. I just had an uh, idea this morning, and I said, um, uh, we wake up every morning, and all we hear is negativity. Uh, everybody's broken, the oil and the government, and uh, all this. I thought we just should have a laugh or a change. So if for the next little while, everybody who wants to could call in, Tell a good April Fool's joke played on them or they played on someone else. And we'll all learn how to laugh again. I'm completely into it, Katie, to be honest with you. That's why I make a concerted effort off the top of the show every single day to start with positive. You know, I check exactly. in on people that are doing good things in the provincial scene, the national scene, the international scene. I make a big effort every day to try to start the show with that. The negativity will always be there. Oh, it's we not going anywhere. Laugh. we got to learn to laugh. Anyway, I just wanted to suggest that to you and see what you thought. I think it's a great suggestion. Do you have one to share? Yes. When I was a young girl, I called my girlfriend at lunchtime and I said, our house is on fire. And uh, her mother came to the phone and she banged up the phone and she phoned the fire department. And I, we were all coming home. We were home from school, and then there was five fire trucks outside of our door with the firemen running up with their axes and hoses. And my mother was in a state. Anyway, it's a good thing my father knew the fire chief, so... Yes. And Jameson had it on his nose every hour. Yeah, it's probably a good idea not to include 911 in your April Fool's jokes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we still talk about it because it was funny. And we learned to ha- got to learn to have some fun. I, I think it was, someone pulled one on me on the air one year. I can't remember. Was that Sheila Williams maybe, Dave, got me one time on the air? Anyway, someone got me good. I fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. And I yeah, suppose that's yeah. what makes a good April's Fool's jokes. I, I'm glad you brought it up, Katie. Anyone who wants to, to supply a laugh here this morning, they can be yeah. moved to the head of the queue. Just for the next little while, have a funny joke and, and a, a, something you remember. Count me in. All right. God bless. Thanks, Katie. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah, uh, okay, line number two caller, you're on the air. Good day, Mr. Daly. Good day to you. Boy, after you're talking to Bruno there, boy, sorry, I mind turning the radio off for good. I want to change the subject. Now, I never heard you mention in your preemptor last uh, yesterday when uh, when uh, Panama beat uh, Canada in the soccer, old buddy. I updated the, the Canada's quest for the World Cup every day, every day. Uh, uh, well, I must. Uh, 
I must have uh, never heard you there on the preamp there. So he, he never, uh, he must have forgot or, or would have Panama beat him two to nothing. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if, why you want me to bring that up. I mean, I went all the way through the victory that secured over Jamaica 4 0 to secure our spot in the World Cup. You wanted more than that, I'm sorry? Yeah, well, but they, they played, they played uh, Panama. Yeah, and okay, and? Panama beat them 2 to nothing. And? No, I just wanted, uh, just wondering, what do you, you know, were you expecting Canada to win? Well, Panama well down the table as compared to the first place Canadians. I also think there's a concept of taking your foot off the gas and putting some of your best runners on the bench for games like that when all you need to do is to beat Jamaica and off to the World Cup you go. So, you know, some of those types of losses really don't add up to a whole lot in the big scheme of things. Just from, from in my mind as an old athlete, I know exactly where those kind of efforts come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also I also watch the women basketball. I said that they can certainly play their game so in the in the match madness. Oh yeah. You know, really good games, both the men and the women. We have so many Canadians that are playing in the NCAA, it's unreal. Yeah. It used to be it was a real anomaly. We'd have a handful. Now we've got dozens. Yes, right. Yeah, like I said, I decided when to give you a card, change the subject and uh we Newfoundlanders, uh, we're well-educated, and we can read in between the lines, Bruno. Yeah, we got this. Yeah. Well, you have a nice day. No? You too. Thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, let's keep going. Line number three. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Patty. Hi. <laughs> Actually, it was Sheila Williams that uh, spooked you that day, <laughs> that April Fool's Day. As a matter of fact, the video... Uh, of her talking to you is on her website. <laughs> I've seen it. Yeah, someone sent it to me. Yeah, it was Sheila and there was a couple of the other girls, friends of mine, that were standing behind her giggling their heads off when she was giving it to me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I, I couldn't keep a straight face. Yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> classic, classic. Uh, now, the reason I'm calling, I tried to call a couple of days ago, but uh, you guys were really busy and I wasn't able to stay on hold. Uh, so I don't have the information in front of me, but... Um, I, I want to talk about that St. John's lawyer that was charged with uh, assaulting a, a young girl when she was 12, and then years later when she was older, uh, the publication ban of his name, uh, I, I don't agree with. Um, you know, I've read several articles about this, and, you know, to, to quote him, you know, he, he didn't want to have his uh, reputation tarnished and loss of business and stuff like that if his name was to be published. Now, I don't know why lawyers are exempt from having their names publicized when they're charged with uh, an assault. They're not. Uh, the simple reply there is they're not. Uh, even the judge ruled against the lawyer. So that's, I think, encouraging. But the lawyer does have the ability, like all everybody does, to appeal as far as they can, and that would be the highest court in the land of the Supreme Court. So the courts here provincially, they don't think he's on the right side. They think his name should be publicized. Yes. So over the last few days, I've been trying to, to you know, keep track of it, but, you know, it, it, it's bouncing back and forth. You know, one lawyer, one judge said, yes, you know, his name will be published, and another lawyer, you know, uh, counteracted that. So, But I don't know if, if what you just said is correct, because oftentimes, you know, uh, someone's name gets published even when it's alleged assault, not necessarily, you know, an actual conviction. So this guy, you know, has been charged with these assaults. So to me, like once you're charged, 
you know, that, that the innocence has gone out the window. I the don't disagree with that. The issue is, though, that I can petition the court immediately to keep my name out of it. That's all I said. Not that, uh, you know, he was given preferential treatment right from the get-go. So when a publication ban was requested and granted up front, and then when it was denied by the most recent judge, he chose to appeal it, which leaves that ruling hanging in limbo. That's, that's all I said. I think his name should be out there like everybody else's that's charged like that. Yeah, but uh, but again, uh, over the years, I've known of a couple of uh, you know not not close to me, but I, I've you know read articles about people who, whose names were published, and to my knowledge, they weren't given the the the, the, the ability to to appeal that. You know, the court just threw it out there, and, and of course, the the, uh, the media got a hold of it, and then you know later on, that person was was shown to be innocent. So they had their name dragged through the, through, through the coals, and then, uh, you know, they were found innocent at the end. This guy has been found guilty, so I don't even know why he was given uh, a publication ban. The the case is over. No, the charge yeah. there's just charges in place. He hasn't faced the courts yet. Okay, I'm, uh, th- that's what I mean. I had the information in front of me a couple of days ago when I called in, so I, you know, please excuse my ignorance. No, um, I want to make sure that we get the accurate information out there. As far as I can recall, there was three charges laid last May, two more charges were filed at the end of last year, and it is just proceeding through the courts at this moment in time. The, the court, pardon me, the publication ban was challenged by CBC and CTV arguing about freedom of the press and open court principle. Right. Okay, yeah, I believe you're right. I think, he, yeah, I read he's facing charges, so sorry about that. No, 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 no problem. Um, but again, like I said, I don't even know why he was granted a publication ban um, when others are, are, I thought, were just automatically their names were, were released. But I didn't realize that every citizen had, you know, the the ability to to appeal their name being banned. I I didn't realize that. You can appeal just about everything, uh, all the way to the Supreme Court if you have the resources, the wherewithal to do, because that's why we we think and we see and we know that the justice system is not as level and as even as it needs to be. You know, the scales of justice are indeed bent in favor of the big corporation, the powerful and the rich and the wealthy, as opposed to the normal folks like me and you. So that's where these things happen. Like, for instance, would I be able to keep a Jerome Kennedy as my lawyer to make it all the way through the Supreme Court on something like this? No, I wouldn't. I would have had to cave to the financial pressures. So that's where the, some of these conversations get extremely hairy. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, I just wanted to, you know, throw it out there because uh, I wasn't really 100% sure, you know, what, what the, the law was about that. Uh, you know, getting back to the Douglas, Douglas uh, Snellgrove case. You know, so what you're implying is that he was given the opportunity to have his name uh, not published. Is that is that correct? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think it applies there when you're working for the people, right? Yeah. Uh, private sector impl- uh, lawyer like whoever this person is I you know I've heard so many names I don't know what it is it's not for me to say until it's confirmed but if you are a police officer I think that brings an entirely different thing like the RNC have to be transparent with us about who's facing charges I don't think there was an opportunity for someone working in that capacity to shield their name very much unlike a private citizen yeah yeah, I, I know this person is this uh, lawyer is a you know a private citizen. However, they are technically working for the crown, you know, which which represents you know the judicial system. You know, indirectly, they're technically working for the government. I guess they are represent the crown. Yeah. So, 
Okay, I just wanted to get it out there. Like I said, I wish I had the articles that I was referring to in front of me because, uh, like I said, when I called in the other day, I had them all ready to go. <laughs> but there has been some changes with that since then. Um, since I called, tried to call in, there has been a couple of, you know, again, bouncing back and forth. One judge ruled, yes, you know, we can publicize his name. Another judge said, no, we can't. So, you know, I, I, I was just wondering why... Uh, it seemed he was given preferential treatment, but like you said, I don't know what has changed since last Wednesday when uh, I can't remember the judge, maybe Judge Adams, Parallel Justice Adams. He made that ruling just that day. And if anything's changed since then, I'm not aware of it, which is on me. I should be aware of it, but I don't know if anything has changed or not since last Wednesday, to be honest. No, well, it's impossible to keep up with every news story, Patty. <laughs> There's a lot on the no. go. Yeah, for sure. But like I said, if anybody, you know, can chime in on that, anybody who's knowledgeable, I'd certainly be interested in finding out, you know. Me too. Uh, You know, it's a complicated issue inside of jurisprudence. And if anything has changed since last Wednesday and someone can fill me in, I'm happy to fill in the blanks and let the listeners know what's going on. But that's just the bulk of what I know at this moment in time. But I'll have another read, uh, maybe through the news or after the show today. Yeah. And I mean, if this lawyer is in fact innocent... You know, I feel for him for for going through this and, and paying out the money and trying to prove his innocence. But if he's guilty, you know, if he's found to be guilty, you know, throw it out there. <laughs> well, if he's found yeah. guilty, to be no choice, it'd be a public record. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's a deterrent uh, to the victim. You know, to to go and go through all this, you know, emotional turmoil to have this person charged only for them to be protected by by the media or by the courts no not by the media the media challenged the ruling no i meant to say the court yeah. Sorry. okay yeah i mean it, i think it brings upon a larger conversation about presumption of innocence you know yeah. because once someone takes the quote-unquote perp walk they are very quickly convicted in the court of public opinion and we all know it to be true it's human nature when in fact that flies in the face of one of the cornerstones of the justice system is the presumption of innocence Exactly. It's yeah. a tricky piece of business, but I'm glad you brought it up this morning. Thank you for your time. Okay. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. When we come back, Mark wants to talk about mini splits. Fair enough. And Al wants to talk about what we're seeing, the horrific visuals coming from Ukraine. Don't go away. Oh, welcome back to the show. I guess before we get there, line number one, Art, you're on the air. Doing okay. You? Oh, not too bad. What? Nice day. Beautiful in town. Well, a little bit more gray than it was earlier. Yeah, you're not in the right part of town, but... <laughs> You're probably right there. Yeah, so Patty, I've got to, this must be one of the happiest days of my life, man. All this good news is coming around here. The, the, the moratorium on new species now, and Earl Mercury gets his hand back in the pie. He should never be allowed in the kitchen. And I can say stuff like that, but I knew Earl Mercury was going around giving out them blue corduroy hats. Back when he was having a, the big union going on years ago, before the moratorium. So I'm just glad to see that I can now finally feel that I can pass the torch on to somebody else. And I might be known as the guy who hates the seals. Yes, and I'm glad to wear that shingle. But I'm uh, having a happy day today because of all this. And uh, I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. So, uh, just so I can get this straight, it's a good thing McCarty's on the panel or a bad thing? Well, Patty, I've been telling the right thing for 30 odd years, and it's all been bad, so it must be good. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. I'm being sarcastic, Patty. Okay, then give me a straight answer. It's good or bad that he's on the panel? It's bad. He shouldn't be allowed in the kitchen, let alone have his hand in the pot. Why? 
Why? Yeah. Oh, I've got to explain that. Man. You, you should have been there on the wharf when we come ashore after two months at sea. Earl McCurdy was there with a box of hats. Well, we'll skip that. I'll just find well, Okay, so for, for the fish harvesters now, they're happy enough to have what they would consider an ally on the panel. So how is it bad for the fish harvesters? The, the processors think it's bad for them. Eddie, did, you, did anybody ever look under the sheets to see who was really under there? The DFO and FFAW? Nobody looked under the sheet there yet, I don't think. He's not involved in operations. He'll be on a panel that determines the price. So Ready. for the harvesters, they're quite pleased, I think, that he's on the panel and looked no further than the fact that how irate they were when it was criticized by Mr. Uh, Derek Butler. I'm just glad to see that things haven't changed too much in 30 years, Patty. This, this new answer they got for this new moratorium, they're going to do going to de- science. Excellent word. But I just I feel relieved that because it's not going to stop there, buddy. They're going to pluck the pinch the heads off each and every one of them until there's not enough of them to stand together to do anything about it. And then, well, just say, well, that foolish fellow that hated the seals, but that foolish fellow that hated the seals, fishery products put them through the Marine Institute. I wouldn't know fool, Patty. I ain't no fool now, but buyer beware. Anyway, have a good weekend, Patty. You, you should take some time off and some relax, man. What do you mean? I just had a week it off. Seems, it seems like you sound like you got the wind out of your sails now, Patty, last week or so. I mean, you put up buddy there, Bruno, this morning. You have, you've had those shorter fuse with more sensible talk than that. Maybe it's just the same old, same old, same old from them every time. Maybe that's part yeah, of it. Yeah, it's the same old thing for me, too, Patty, but uh, at least my thing don't change. And I know what I'm talking about. So I'm not just a foolish fellow that got a hate for seals. Has uh, have I ever said anything like that? No, I don't, no. I've been known to people who know that I be on your show. They said this to me. I have. I'm proud to be known as that person. That's something I don't care about. That don't bother me. My hack and pick can be always sharp. Okay. Right. But uh, just saying, Patty. Since we talked last, what a couple billion pounds gone? Not a big deal, anyway. Only a couple billion pounds. And we're talking about quota cuts here. Let's land the crab over Nova Scotia. Yeah, why not? Save some of that gear. Right? Uh, taxes out of the fuel taxes on the air taxes. Sure, why not? Why not conglomerate it all over there on the mainland where it should be? Well, who's suggesting that? Who's suggesting it? What's happening, buddy? Can you see what's happening? Fisher Products was here. Where's the two now? It's not here no more. Vic yeah. Young was wrong Fisher Products. Three decades Like I said, I'm thinking about retiring from the show before you do. So anyway, have a good day. I'm going to have a great day knowing that I was right. Enjoy it, Patty. Okay, Eric. Take care. Uh, okay, let's take a break for the news. Your VOCM 2022 ECMA nominee for Media Outlet of the Year. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number four. Good morning, Mark. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Just let you know, I'm a first-time caller. Welcome to the show. And uh, I'm enjoying your shows the past couple of mornings here because I'm homesick with COVID. And how are you feeling? uh, Not too good, I can tell you that. Uh, Now, today I'm starting to feel a little bit better, but um, for anyone that thinks it's a joke, it ain't no joke, I can tell you that. Well, I wish you a speedy recovery in full, Mark. Now, uh, the reason I uh, call, I want to talk more about this $5,000 incentive program that he got for switching out 
you know your uh, your uh, oil burning furnace into like a mini split or a heat pump. Well, moving to electric and then you can install would be a different rebate pot of money for a mini split or heat pump. Yep. Yeah, like I mean, so that's not it's not really it doesn't really cut it, uh, you know, that amount. See, you, you think about who uh, who's going to try to avail of this uh, of this incentive. I mean, say, you're talking about houses that were built in the 70s and built in the 80s. And a lot of these, uh, a lot of these homes are, uh, you know, are seniors in the, in the homes. And they're basically, or in, they're, they're on a fixed income. And uh, right now, they're struggling to put oil in the tank. Especially now, you know, you're talking about another 12, 14 cents going on to the home heat and fuel tomorrow, apparently today so so and and you think about those houses that are built back then in the 70s and 80s a lot of them were built uh, uh, and they have they have a, a different service you know they have like a 125 amp service going into their homes because they didn't require the 200 amp because they, their main heating was was oil so they didn't have any electric heat and uh, therefore you didn't need extra power so for someone to get a, a mini-split or something like that to put in their home to get away from the uh, the oil, burning the oil, I mean, say, that's going to cost a whole lot more than $5,000 or even $7,000. It's just not practical. There's no way that, uh, you know, the, the, a senior can afford that type of... So, you know, it's... Um, I, I would say, I venture to say that there are... 50 to 70 percent of the people out there just can't uh, they can't here it is the incentive programs out there now but they just still can't take advantage of it because they just can't afford it sure um and it's not meant to be a cost cover it's a rebate but here's uh, just for context the program for support to transition from oil to electric heat was uh, back in september and since then there's only been 150 people who have applied for the rebate that gives you an idea of just how few people are making that move and how few people can afford to make that move that's right exactly so what i'm saying is if newfoundland hydro or newfoundland power or the government are serious about uh, trying to get people away from burning fossil fuels in their homes. That's the one step that we can do for carbon. Uh, I mean, say, why don't they get someone to come into a home and do an assessment? Say, okay, here we go. Uh, this guy needs an electrical upgrade. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, there's a multi-level house or whatever. And then they can do an estimate on what it's going to cost. Yeah, you can do that. There's people out there who do that for you. And then, and that's it. If they're serious about it, uh, you know, uh, put some kind of a payment plan with a, a very, very low interest or something like that. And, uh, and so that the people can, uh, can actually uh, think about doing that. I mean, say these seniors that are out here now, uh, with the, the way that the oil is going up, especially the home heat and fuel, it's, um, it's crazy. I mean, the people that are burning diesel, okay, the, you know, the trucks and everything else, well, at the end of the day, they're going to get their money because they're going to charge us more for the trucking. But uh, the person that's trying to put oil in their tank, well, where are they going to get the extra money? They ain't going to get it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just a, it's a terrible situation, right? 
Well, there are a lot of people that have been left behind with a variety of programs, and that includes the most recent five-step or five-point program that the province brought forward. Electric vehicles, subsidy or rebates, and the transition money, that's not really hitting the most vulnerable. That's not hitting the middle class who are also dealing with the spike in the soaring cost of living issues that we all see and all feel every single day. Mark, I hope you're on the mend, boy, and I appreciate you making time for the show. Would you like to say anything else? Well, the other thing I just want to mention, you know, uh, the government, we're talking about trying to cut down any emissions and everything. Uh, I'm just thinking that the government got to think out of the box a little bit and, uh, and the transportation of our goods in and out of this province and, for that matter, across Canada. I mean, say, you look over in Europe and over there in those countries, they got these uh, fast trains. You know, they they got the magnetic rails and there's no friction and the, they travel along there at, uh, you know, uh, 200 and 300 miles an hour. Uh, why can't we think about something like that uh, instead of having all these uh, trucks bringing back and forth, tearing up our highways? And Do we have a population base that could support the investment required to install high-speed rail? I, I guess that's where the cost-benefit analysis would start. In regard to the numbers of trucks and the reliance on, you know, Marine Atlantic and Onyx, or Oceanex, pardon me, would be, and I've thrown this out there before, I don't know if it's a good or a bad idea, but investing money in large-scale industrial greenhouses in conjunction with the more traditional farming that we're already, we understand, that might be something regarding food security, food reliability, doing away with some of the trucking requirements. It wouldn't do away with all of them because, of course, you still have to get it from the greenhouse to the market, but it would reduce a lot. It would reduce a lot, and uh, it's time for the government to start thinking about uh, out-of-the-box projects like that and see if we if we want to reduce emissions, there you go. There's one big one. And, yes, it's gonna, it would cost a lot of money, but, uh, you know, you know, everything today costs a lot of money, so, uh, you know, uh, why can't you start thinking about something like that? And uh, we got the power. We had the power. Now we don't know what to do with it. Up Muskrat Falls, I mean, say, uh, maybe... By the time it gets the software figured out, uh, you, you, might, uh, you might have a rail system in place. Appreciate the time, man. Take good care of yourself, Mark. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Uh, did I drop? Let's see what we got on line number three. Good morning, Jim. You're on the air. <clears throat> yeah, Patty, uh, you were talking to Bruno. I heard you talking to him. Uh, he knows so much about Newfoundland Hydro and Newfoundland Offshore. I'd like for you, when you're talking to him again, if you'd ask him what happened to Nova Scotia Light and Power and what happened to Nova Scotia Offshore. Thank you. Well, Nova Scotia Power is still a thing, right? Yes, but what happened to it? Uh, it started taking Newfoundland Power. Hmm. I, well, I mean, I can't answer the question because I have no earthly no, well, idea. Next time you're talking to Bruno, ask him. He'd explain it. Yeah, I don't even know. offshore to Nova Scotia offshore. Yeah, I'm not even sure if it's active anymore, but that, you know, again, it gives me uh, something I should so read about. He knows about it Newfoundland. Ask him to explain Nova okay. Scotia. Happy to do it. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. You're welcome, Jim. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Yeah, is Nova Scotia Power even an active entity anymore? I really don't know. I suppose I can figure it out, though. Hey, boy. All right, uh, how are we doing on the telephone there, David? Let's take a break. When we come back, plenty of time left to speak with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Paul, you're on the air. Hi, good day. Uh, good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Doing okay, thanks. How are you doing? Good. Uh, good, thank you. I just called to uh, have a quick conversation. I'm, I'm probably rare to dug the head again about uh, super mailboxes. 
um, many years ago, Canada Post opted out to uh, home home delivery to put super mailboxes in the neighborhoods. Well, uh, I just wanted to you know pass on some experiences I've had with super mailboxes, uh, especially the most recent one. Uh, my daughter lives in the states, and over you know past few years, sending you know you know uh, gift cards, money cards, stuff like that, and got missing in the super mailboxes. I just hope that whoever you know received it needed it more than I did. But uh, I guess the most recent one is um, I, I was waiting on a T4 for uh, my uh, my pension and waited, 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 and just so happened that uh, a con neighbor finally, you know, uh, you know, showed up at my door or whatever and said, hey, you've been waiting on this, and it wasn't my, my T-force. But I look at it as a, it's like the healthcare just went through with the um, cyber attack. Uh, the possibility of somebody accessing my personal information, especially my, you know, social insurance, social insurance number, uh, if it had to get into the wrong hands. So, I'm, you know, just putting out there, you know, people are missing stuff and things like that, especially when it comes to T4s. You know, it, it's pretty pretty bad that Canada Post are not more diligent and more observant of what they're doing and putting in these boxes. Sure. Just so he, he, the indi- the implication is that because the uh, the letter carrier is opening a super mailbox, not paying attention to put it in box 7 versus box 8, that's led to the confusion? Is that what we're saying? That's correct. Like okay. Mine went, didn't go in my address and went into somebody else's address. And it just so happened that that person was good enough to bring, you know, to me where, you know, it could have been given into somebody else's hands who's more, you know, at, at bad stuff, you know, taking identity theft. You know, that's the biggest thing, I guess, that you can put out there. You know, so easy to go online these days and do identity theft, but it's also pretty easy, like, for Canada Post to screw up things too, right? Absolutely. Now, I guess it was it happened over the years when they were going door to door. It was probably less likely to happen going door to door versus you know opening up the main uh, swinging door of the super mailbox itself. Uh, and with the gift cards, so you're you're also thinking that someone was kind enough to deliver your T four unopened, but if they had found the gift card, they're more likely to pocket it. A bit, oh yeah, like I know, I, my daughter sent me birthday cards and stuff like that. And I never received them. That she sent them, and I never did receive them first or last. So mm. I mean, it is, it is what it is. I just like I said, I'm not a begrudging person. I just hope whoever used it needed it more than I did. You know, uh, stuff like that, right? Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just that you know, I, I know can the posts are using private contractors now going around. Uh, especially rural, rural parts out of the city, and uh, they're not main employees. So, what, what kind of training are they getting and stuff like that? They're going around with SUVs with the Canada Post symbol on their cars, or SUVs and stuff like that. So, you know, this, you know, uh, I, I know it was a federal organization, what it can be, and not much. I thought about calling them and complaining, but I've done it in the past, and you know, Whistle Dixie had better luck. Um, What's the likelihood of encountering a super mailbox outside the metro region? Is there much of it outside, uh, say, for instance, off the Avalon? I didn't think there was. I don't know. I don't know about the Avalon, but I travel. I do a lot of deliveries around, around the city from Kelly Groves to Torbay and stuff like that. And, you know, there's super, super mailboxes on the side of the roads everywhere. And mostly out of the city, like when I say out of the city, out of the metro, metro area, like when you get out around Paradise and places like that, you don't see regular mail trucks. You see SUVs, like private, private oh, yes. vehicles. Yeah. Right? So they're the ones that are delivering. And so, I mean, you know... I'm just wondering what type of training they're getting. I mean, how, how much of a timeline are they on rushing and stuff like that where they can make errors like that? I mean, that's a pretty significant error. Somebody had to get my social insurance number and, you know, God only knows what they do with it. 
Well, I'm glad that it wasn't compromised on that particular front, which I think is a worry that's kind of been amplified here in the last couple of days regarding the numbers of files that have been hacked during the uh, Meditech uh, IT system hack. So now as many as 200,000 people, their information has been taken. It doesn't go back just to 2008, it goes back to 1996. So those are whopping big numbers and whopping big concerns. Yes, for sure. So anyway, I just want to bring your sure. attention to people's attention. So, you know, hey, you know, if, if something on, if you're waiting on something and you've been waiting a while, not just out of ten, you're not going to get it. Let's hope that's infrequent. Appreciate the time, Paul. Thanks for this. Take care. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Or you take care, too. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to line number two. Ray, you're on the air. Hi, Ray. Yes, hello, Pat. Hello there. How are you today? Hanging in there. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Good. Uh, just calling in now, uh, wondering, is anybody looking at the uh, seniors' income as, and, and the, uh, say, the, you know, you've got the guaranteed certain amount of income? And uh, do you think the government got anything coming in the uh, budget for that? For increased income for seniors? Yeah, for the old age pension and the income supplement and all that kind of stuff. Well, there is an increase coming, and not this go-around, I don't think, uh, but for CPP. And that's going to be a, a complete reorganization of contributions as well. So I don't know what's coming on the 7th of April. Uh, no. I, I, I don't know what's going to be in their specific monies for seniors themselves. But you mentioned, I think you even said something like guaranteed basic income. It was a topic I was going to bring up off the top of the show, just given some of the extraordinary, ridiculously conspiratorial reaction that is getting to a Senate bill regarding uh, guaranteed basic income. I'll save that, I suppose, for Monday because that's a real doozy. But I don't know what's coming for seniors on the 7th. Uh, the last go around, of course, as everybody's aware, was simply an increase of 10% on old age security for 75 years and older, which has left many people quite frustrated yeah that was a bit of an idiot statement that was whoever you know dreamed that up but uh, Patty what is the uh, the law in safe poverty line income somebody say 23,000 no it's less than that um, yeah What's the poverty line these days I'm thinking it's more like 14,000 I'd have to look it up to get an accurate number Oh, okay. Right on. Yeah, but it's far less than 23. 23 is more than making minimum wage and yeah. getting full-time hours. Yes. Yeah. But uh, anyways, you know, the food has gone up 40%. Fuel has gone. And seniors and, and the, uh, uh, you know, the people with the just straight income, uh, nothing gone. Nothing gone up at all. So I don't know how they expect people to survive. Everything we've touched, it, it, for me, the two areas of the most concern, of course, yes, the price of gas and the price of diesel, no doubt about it, but heating your home and buying food, that's where it's getting just completely unmanageable. I don't know how so many people do it. I really cannot wrap my mind around it. I'm lucky enough to work in a household where we're both employed full time and it's painful on me, but I can't imagine what it's like for others who make far less than I do, fixed income and seniors and otherwise, because, boy, oh, boy. I mean, I, I go to the, I shop at the grocery store just about every day. And, you know, I do it as part of my routine. What was once a very fundamental, not a glamorous meal for our family of four, the two boys live in the house, you know, I could get away with no problem, $25, 
I need something reasonable. Now, that exact same thing, it feels a whole lot like uh, more like $40. There's some things where you don't even really think you should buy them anymore because it's hard to justify buying X, Y, or Z for such a whopping big price. And my wife is much more thrifty than I am. And I'll admit, over the years, I wasn't really, you know, grabbing the flyers and all that stuff, but I guarantee I am now. Yes, I don't know where it's all going to end. And I heard a uh, fellow speaking to you early in the show there. He said uh, his family's combined income was a hundred thousand. There was nothing in the uh, nothing in the uh, you know the the plan. Yeah, nothing in the plans for him. He never got nothing out of the uh, this and that and the other thing. You know, the, that the government were giving out the two hundred dollars and this and that. And uh, how do we? If he, he's making over a hundred thousand, him and his missus, I guess, his family, he said. And uh, you know, my I just did my income tax, and it was fifteen thousand three hundred and four dollars. Yeah, I'm sure that ruffled some feathers uh, when someone hears that. But I guess the reality of life is different for everybody, right? So. W- in the concept of living in, within your means. So a family that brings in $100,000, it still might mean they have a different threshold of bills that are on the table that need to be paid and the type of mortgage based on the value of their home and a couple of kids in university or who knows. So for I know a lot of families that make uh, in and around $100,000 in combined family income. And there's not much left at the end of the month. Maybe it's because they just have too many unnecessary toys or deal with a bunch of different so-called luxuries in life. I don't know. But real-life circumstance with the cost of living that's gone on, it's easy to understand why his family also was feeling the pinch. I know mine is. Oh, absolutely. But you take his mortgage and his toys and everything out of it, name him go to a grocery store, go to the door, there's the same price on the thing of milk. To him and me. Yeah, I guess it's all just about how much money you have at the end of the month, isn't it? It is, but you know. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's weird, but anyways, hopefully they do something about it. Maybe uh, instead of uh, paying all this money out for the Rothschilds and and the Green reports, sure they could have a seniors report, pay someone five or six million bucks to, to say that they're starving and freezing people to death, you know. Yeah, and as it pertains to fuels, there's apparently just released a news release from the Board of Commissioners of the Public Utilities, so the PUB. Um, yeah, I've, it's the print's so small, I'm going to have to try to read it uh, during the news. But I appreciate your time. I wish you well, right? Thanks for the call. Sure, thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. All right, when we come back, uh, Paul's in the queue to respond to Paul. Paul was the fellow who called about the super mailbox, and then time to speak with you. Don't go away. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The Cabin Party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM. Welcome back. Uh, let's go. Line number three, Paul, you're on the air. Hi, good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. Uh, the caller just had, you just had about having problems with his mail. Yep. Uh, I'm in an apartment complex here in town, and I, I had the same problem for months and months, Patty. So uh, one day I put a notice down in my lobby. Please put the mail in the right mailboxes. And it continued. So what I did, I got on the phone, called the 1-800 number, 1-800-267-1177. And the lady was nice and friendly. She said, it happens all the time. And she said, well, she asked me, how long does it happen in my place? I said, my dear, it's been going on for eternity. And she said, well, they must need reading courses or something. But she took the information. She was nice and friendly. She gave me a service ticket number. That's in the event that it continued on. And if it had continued on, I would have called them back again. And the problem's been fixed, Patty. We haven't had a problem since. And this is probably three months ago, Patty. Not not a problem since. 
So all that caller got to do was call that number, and and they'll they'll get on the ball. They'll call down here to St. John's or wherever he's calling from, and I guess they'll call you know whatever department they're in. The department head will ever speak to that person who's delivering the mail and. and the problem is fixed, just like that, Patty. Well, that's a good thing. I believe uh, it looked like a towny number to me. Um, but it's a, it's a real shame that we have to have a, compl- a formal complaint lodged for a supervisor to deal with a letter carrier to remind them that if it's going in mailbox 7, it doesn't go in mailbox 8. You know, But if that's what it takes, I guess you got to do what you got to do. Well, it makes you wonder, Patty, why they do it. It's like they do it on purpose. Even when you put a note downstairs and they still do it. It's like the, I know these guys are busy. I appreciate that. But, I mean, that's mail. That's personal information, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I fool around with your mail, it's a crime. So you would think that the mindset for the letter carrier would be that uh, I have to do everything in my power to ensure that the mail gets to the person that it's addressed to and nobody else. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying, and that's what I did. I took up the, I got the phone one morning, called Canada Post, uh, 800-267-1177. Nice, friendly lady. She understood. Uh, she said it might take up to a week, but we haven't had a problem since, knock on wood. <laughs> but, Paddy, I want to mention something to you before I go on, my sure. buddy. Yep. Just to rekindle your memory. You remember a few years ago, you were on a cooking show with Chrissy Holmes. Yeah. Paddy, uh, who won that? Scoff off. <laughs> who won that? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember who won. Did yeah. you beat that poor Chrissy Holmes, you, hey? Eh? Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a fun show. That wasn't rigged now, was it? <laughs> no, and you know what? I can't even remember why I won. Oh, oh, I, we, we cooked mussels. It's a really fun concept. You don't know what you're making until they re- reveal it, and the, all the ingredients are there, and the pots and pans are all there, and then you just go for it. Uh, I think she overcooked the mussels, if I remember correctly, and mine were so-called better. But no, you didn't win anything for it, did you? Just pride, I guess. Uh, yeah, no, we didn't win anything. Although we got a nice apron, which I still wear. Oh, okay. I, I saw Paul Din there with, uh, was it Jim Din? His, his brother there several months ago doing the same thing. I can't remember who won that either, but I just thought I'd re- refresh your memory on that. I, I couldn't remember who won. What was you, was it? Yeah, it was. And that was actually the pilot. That's the first time they ever did that show. So, yeah, I remember quite clearly. I showed up, and <clears throat> Chrissy had a bunch of CBC swag, uh, including her CBC apron, which was really quite nice. And I showed up to participate in the show with just my old Led Zeppelin uh, apron <laughs> and no swag from the from the station. So we got off to a, a false start. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you must be a good cook then, eh? I'm not. You know what? I'm the cook in my house. Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay. I can't burn. I, I burn toast, but th- that's good. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't mean I'm a good cook, but I am a cook. Well, I'm sure your wife appreciates that, Patty, though, hey? I have more time in the day, see? So she works really hard and sometimes really late into the afternoons, comes home around supper time. So if I have the time and the wherewithal to be able to put together fundamental dishes, I do, and I actually quite enjoy it. Years ago, I would have never believed that I would be the primary cook in the house, but now I actually enjoy it. Oh, yeah. It can be fun. It can be fun if you know what you're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, and I don't follow recipes, and I probably never even uh, put the same dish together the same way twice. <laughs> okay, my friend. It was a good time you this morning, Patty. Nice to speak with you, too, Paul. Thanks a lot. Take care, buddy. All right, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, I remember doing that show. And, of course, Christy and I were on, the, on Out of the Fog together for, I think we did four full seasons together. And back in those days, we used to do 200 original episodes every single year. Whew. Let's go to line four. Lindy, you're on the air. Good morning, Paddy. Good morning to you. Just wanted the the the, the update you on the, on the price of uh, furnace oil. As far as a tank of furnace oil. Yep. 
for low-income seniors, if you had to buy a full tank of furnace oil today, it would cost $1,444.95. Yeah, and that same tank would have cost, what, $675 a year or two ago. Yeah, and uh, the the prior the, the tax on that on that now that's not with the tax that's without the the tax would be two hundred sixteen dollars and seventy four cents. So four times a year, we got an increase of ten percent on the on the GST GST whatever. Yep. And that that amount there, um, one tank of oil would cover it for the four for the four times that you get it per year, right now. That was before last night's increase, by the way. Yeah, and someone else just sent me the news release from the PUB, and I should be bringing my reading glasses to work, which I generally don't, and the print is so small, I'm going to have to print it off on the printer here now when I get a chance. I don't understand. I, I can't see how, and I don't see why nobody is complaining. I can't see how uh, 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 people have fixed income, low income seniors. I can't see how they're doing it. But wait now, nobody's complaining. From where I sit, everybody's complaining. Anybody on your show complaining? You know, I hear a couple, maybe. What? That's about it. No, 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 no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Everybody is complaining about the price of oil. Everybody. Man, man, I'm telling you, I mean, this is ridiculous. I I get it. Federal and provincial. Not only only provincial, but federal, too. Uh, Federal what? Federal, the the, the price of, of gas and whatever, federally. And the price of the, and the price of gas and oil uh, provincially. Yeah, Over. right now the federal tax on our gas is there's a 10% uh, excise tax that's been there or 10 cent excise tax so that's been there forever, and it's almost nine cents in the carbon tax. The two cent hike that was for today is not going to be implemented until budget day, is my understanding. So then we'll see an additional two cents automatically, regardless of what the PUB thinks or says. So yep, there you go. Yeah, and they won't take that five cents off for the oil refinery. Nope. No. Well, not now. Anyway, well, they didn't. I guess proof's in the pudding. <laughs> we shall see on the 7th, whatever, of April. Yep. Okay, sir, that's it for me. Appreciate the time. Thanks a lot, Lindy. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Uh, so, caller asked about poverty, poverty level. Here's the, the info I sent along by Catherine, which I appreciate. A single employable uh, person in this province, the poverty line is 16,167. I thought it was around 14, but it's 16. Person with a disability, it's the same number, 16,167. A single parent with one child is $20,209. In the world of uh, single or, or family units, uh, this or uh, 2021, one person was 26,426. Two persons, 32,898. Three persons, 40,444 dollars. And four persons, fi- uh, 49,106 dollars. Let's take our final break of the day and the week. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number two, Linda, you're on the air. Yes, sir. This is Linda Gillingham, and I'm calling from Gander, and I've called him many times. Well, welcome back to the program. Uh, yes, sir. Your thank you. Uh, I'm calling today about many things, and I don't know if I will get it all in at time. Let's try. Because I, I did call him about D.L. Bross when it was running, and we had to go on. It was dirty, and the COVID was on, and so not very not very much, but just the, everything happened on the bus. Taxes. But now, and I asked for help with my medication. The government couldn't help with that. Uh, but now there's right back and forth thing. But only nine we had. Now we got way over, a little over the hundred. People's dying, gas going up, and uh, uh, the pro- propane. I don't know, but 
propane, but the furnace oil is going up, and everything is going up, and you can't get nothing done. The food has gone up because of the, the diesel that brings across, and your medication is going on, and the COVID is killing people. But what's going on? What is going on with the government? Air, provincial, and federal. I think they need to take the boys out and put the men in. So that was a pretty big question. Um, any Anything in specifically about what government can or should or they're not doing? Well, they should try to stop it so people can go doors and go in places. They're telling them to move after mass, but you can keep them on too. Yeah. So what are they trying to move them? or keep them on, the ones that wear their masks going in the stores and people there with no masks on, and they're not doing a thing for nobody, only people dying, and hard for the, hard for the parents, hard for the family, hard for all those people dying, losing loved ones. It should never be. I think it should shut down and give them back money for the fuel, give people money give, so you can, you can move. I mean, you can't go nowhere now. Where can you go on a bit of gas with the price of it for one litre? The mainland, they got more money because there's a cheaper. But we here, yeah, and me personally, I'm a sick woman. And you, I think I was talking to you before. I got bad lungs. I was told I had COPD. I don't have it. Now I see the new lung specialist, and he told me what is wrong. And I can't get that little bit of stuff, my stuff that goes in my machine. The government can't pay for it for me. I went through water for it. I went through everything. And they can't pay for me for my breeding. If I had cystic fibrosis, they pay for it. But because I got a severe lung disease, they can't pay for mine. I don't understand the government, to tell you the truth. So something, something that someone should do, because we're we're going to be in starvation, and you're not going to be able to use your car, because we won't have the money to do so. So now, what do you think of that? Because I got get call and get a teleconference to get me to the phone because for to talk to my lung specialist and. With the teleconference, sometimes I, I couldn't get that done because the 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 was it the, the the government had something put out of my forgets right now. Uh, what was it, Ben? Uh, what was it that the that the, 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 the oh my, I can't get that one, boy. That's okay. But anyway, my love, whatever it is, they had to cut everything down because the, the virus, not the virus. You know, Ben, what they done for the... Oh, my, I can't get it. The service, service attack. Nothing heard anything about that. Is that what is that what they're trying to get the money for? Uh, they covered that up, too. We didn't hear much on that. So it's all covered up from the government. And as far as I'm concerned, so many more people should call in and think, and think about Patty. Okay, my love, now say it. I'm finished. Now you say what you got to say. No, I have, I have nothing, Linda. I appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thanks a lot. But do you, is it true what I said? I'm not sure which part you were asking me about. All of it. Uh, there was certainly some truth to all of it. Yes, because it hurts. It hurts, Patty, to hear it. 
and I'm not the only one. People's talking, but don't do nothing about it. But I'm talking about it, and I'm going to try to do something about it. Well, I'm glad you are. Yes, my love. And I'm so proud to talk to you. I believe I was on before, and you might remember that after we were finished, I called him about masses. Okay. And this man from Taurus Cove, because the bus was dirty, and I had to put to him, put us, the bus was dirty, he came from Porter Bass, and it was dirty. So I wrote in and asked for some masses and that, and I told him what they done. But this man from Taurus Cove, he called me. He said, my love, you don't have to go on the bus. You can come so far as my place. I got a place, he said, that you can stay, that we put out for people like you who can't afford to do the things they got to do. And he was going to give we that house, but it was too late. But we don't know where we're going anywhere for anything, Patty, because the virus, the COVID. Sure, you can't walk on your bridge now. You might pick it up. No, you should be okay. I hope people aren't too afraid with stuff like that. Like if you're out by yourself out on the bridge and getting a bit of air, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Uh, not, not what the, okay, you said that. I know. I, I, I'm, I'm finished. I'll let you have the last word before we say goodbye, Linda. Go ahead. I think, to be honest with you, that they should see in to the people who is in need for their gas, for their cars, for the food on their table, and for medicine that they can't afford, and look out to the people, not putting everything out of reach that people can't even go to the store and pick up groceries is too high on the, in the stores yeah. and the gas is too high to go to the pumps some people is they're filling up their tanks filling up their their containers filling everything up that's what they are doing, filling everything up and shouldn't have gas in their cars like this No, you have to be very careful I appreciate the time Linda, hope you have a nice weekend Yes, and I'm open too, Patty. And I'm sorry if I said too much. No, you said exactly what you needed and wanted to say. Well, Patty, mm-hmm. that people should realize. And I have tried, and my family doctor have tried for me to get my medication. But thank God, I'm trying to handle it. But we are doing about food on time. Well, I wish you. And we can't no. go anywhere, my love. So the well. gas cost is too much. Yes, I understand, Linda. Uh, Linda. I hope you're doing okay. Thanks for your time this morning. All right, my love. You told me I could have the last speak, and I had it. You got it. Thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome. I'm sorry if I blowed it too much, but I just had to speak, and I figured I had to speak fast to get it all in. You got it in there, I think. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Okay, goodbye. Uh, Will I squeeze Daryl in for a minute? Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, Daryl, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Thanks for uh, getting me on there. I greatly appreciate it. That last caller there, that was a tremendous story she had to say there, and I hope all governments do listen to the people that are crying out on different issues. But Sure, before we run out of time, get to your topic, though, Daryl, yeah, so we don't yeah, run I'm out. Get to, well, I want to get to the topic is uh, New Zealand, they got a program where everybody pays $5 per prescription, and, and their system's called PharmaMac. And I think this is what we got to look at, and, and everybody pays $5 regardless per prescription and that'll be affordable for everybody and yeah I think that's what we got to take a look at yeah and there's a lot of subsidy for pharmaceuticals in New Zealand but I if I remember correctly it's yeah. five dollars for everybody under the pardon me over the age of 13 for all children's prescriptions no fee 
Uh, I, I thought uh, I thought it was very straight across the board. I stand to be corrected, but uh, we should take a good look at their system anyhow. It looks like they got a tremendous system when it comes to that stuff. Good systems are good systems. Yeah, it's all good. And like says, $5, that's the understanding I got right across the board. Right? Yeah, I'll have a quick look. You do it as well. I thought it was free for yeah. children under 13, no standard fee for a prescription uh, in the yeah. drugstore. But anyway, Daryl, thanks for bringing it up this morning. All right, no, not a problem. Thanks again, Patty, and keep up the great work, and have a great weekend. You too. Take care. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, good show. Big thanks for everyone who supports the program, all of the listeners, callers, emailers, and tweeters. You're all right. We will indeed pick up this conversation again on Monday morning right here on VOCN at Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy weekend. Bye-bye.